the Mortal Yogi podcast with me, Dougal Meacham. Susie Grilly, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the Mortal Yogi podcast. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dougal. It's so great to see you again. And thank you for having me. <laughs> it's fantastic. Where are you in the world? Please let us know. We are on the beach in Watsonville. This is where we've been, oh, been wow. living for five years and uh, just spent the day walking Bindu the dog on the beach and swinging the kettlebell and meditating and <laughs> all kinds of great stuff. You swing the kettlebell on the beach? That just sounds like uh, Yang workout heaven. It certainly is. <laughs> especially, especially when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so Watsonville is on the is on the coast. I didn't know that for 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 a start. Yes, well, Watsonville is a small town between Santa Cruz, California, oh, and Monterey, okay. California. It's right in okay. the middle of the Monterey Bay. Mm -hmm. and, and uh give us a give us a snapshot of that part of the world. What's it like? Is it well, green? Oh, it's it's just the beach. It's beautiful. The Monterey Bay is a huge round sea um, ocean paradise that has seen the comeback of otters and whales and dolphins. Oh, yeah. And right now, this particular season is really big whale watching season. It's it's kind of a wild natural paradise. And coming from Oregon, moving yeah. to California, I was not expecting actual natural paradise. Mm -hmm. So long as I can keep myself turned away from the freeways and the billions of people in cars and looking <laughs> at the ocean, all is well. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have this idea of bits of California being like natural, but then there's like, you know, San Francisco and L.A. And so it's, I guess is that juxtaposition of both? Is that what you have? It's true. That is what yeah. we have. Yeah. Wow. Super, super fascinating. Uh, I, I, I've been to California a lot. I like California. And Californians, it's a fun part of the world. Yeah. So you're having fun. <laughs> so I got you on here today to talk about um, about Yang yoga, and um, you and Paul are, of course, very known for your Yin being the king and queen of Yin of Yinland. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, tell us about yourself. You have uh, I you know I've been into several of your and Paul trainings over the years and I get we get tidbits of of yoga history and your life histories but tell us a little bit for our listeners about yourself where you've come from in the world and how you got to where you are today excellent well speaking of California I was born here oh and, uh, Paul and I met in Santa Monica in the early days of yoga in about 1983 or 84 uh -huh. and uh, at that time I was actually living in New York City in my um, life as a professional dancer. I was living and touring the world from New York in a dance company called the Nikolai Dance Theater. But when I would come home to visit my family, I would look for yoga. I started doing yoga in about 1981. Mm -hmm. So we met in the early 80s and uh, we were both doing strong power yoga at the time that strong was strong power yoga yeah kind of a vinyasa style paul had learned patabi joyce's series and was teaching mm -hmm. a sweaty vinyasa style of yoga mm -hmm. and i was still dancing professionally and all of that kind of stuff and then we eventually i eventually moved back to california for good in the early 90s and paul and i got married in 1991. Mm -hmm. And at that time, that was about the beginning of Yoga Works being established. 
and that we big uh, big chain. Yes, that was the first mm. of its kind, and we both taught there. And at that time, we had already Paul had found Yin Yoga and was already teaching Yin Yoga. Mm. We were practicing Yin Yoga all the time, and we were also our Yang component was we called it Taoist Yoga, and it was a bunch of movement stuff that we sort of morphed from the vinyasa sun salutation type of paradigm into other movements where you could move your arms in more varied ways that kind of thing mm -hmm. or move your body in more varied ways so that's when we started establishing the the more and and tell us a little bit more because i i think you know having practiced these sequences with you my my gut feel and that's all it is is that your background as a professional dancer has a big part to play in that is that just me uh making it up in my mind or is uh tell us a little bit about about your background is it professional ba ballet classical ballet that you started dancing in it's actually modern dance and modern, modern dance. dance is a is a classical form in itself most ah. yeah most modern dancers do do some ballet in mm -hmm. order to um, articulate the feet and the legs in a clear and concise way. But modern dance is a paradigm in and of itself. So I was kind of born and raised as a modern dancer who mm -hmm. took ballet classes on the side just because it was it was like at the time it was believed that, well, you should. Yeah, So I, I stand corrected. I didn't know that. I just I thought modern dance is kind of this free jiving kind of yin functional thing. So it's got how do you how, what is the, the difference, I guess, technically between modern dance and ballet? Well, that's a, a huge question. As a non-dancer, this is a non-dancer question, obviously. Yeah, okay. Well, modern dance is a big umbrella term that can mean a lot of things. It's almost like every different choreographer will have a different style of modern dance. So you can mm -hmm. run the gamut from... <laughs> there are there are modern dance companies that do have a very strong balletic uh, okay. sort of skeleton. And so mm -hmm. you'll see and recognize classical forms within the modern choreography. And mm -hmm. then in um, you know basically the 1930s, 40s, 50s, modern dance developed as a barefoot style of dance where you didn't ah. have yeah, it was mostly barefoot, and you didn't mm. have to be on a vertical axis. The big thing about ballet is everything is on a vertical axis, hence mm -hmm. the pirouettes and spins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in modern dance, we took ourselves off the vertical axis and could move on a falling axis or ah. on a slanted axis. And so we played with gravity in a totally different way. And, and that's why, I guess that's why it looks freer less i guess left less left and right square in a way because I, you're playing with ah okay you could use the term orthogonal it's less orthogonal okay so you can you can break the dimensions of the planes in which you move much mm -hmm. much more but mm. you know this is very simplified dis description here because modern dance is incredibly varied now it's... in fact i think the term is actually old-fashioned now people uh, yeah they now call themselves either postmodern or contemporary dancers. Okay, and and you yourself, how what what which niche are you? Uh, did you work and play in? Well, the professional, career? the company that I performed in the Nikolai Dance Theater was mm -hmm. 
um, born in probably the 1940s and 50s, and Nikolai himself lived until the early 90s. So he was mm -hmm. in that early pioneer era of modern dance, but he was an innovator because he was anti-gender separation. The idea was we were ah. not gender specific. Men and women wore the same type of costumes. We were mm -hmm. just human beings. He didn't, mm -hmm. ballet is kind of famous for, you know, the uh, right. princes and princesses and queens and kings and stuff like that. Well, he was just gender neutral all the way. Mm. And he put human beings within the environment rather than human beings being the master of the environment. So mm -hmm. his claim to fame was we were bathed in slide projections and lighting. Ah. And he did his own music on Moog synthesizer. He was one of the first owners of a Moog synthesizer. Okay. Alan Nikolai. So it was very innovative. The closest thing that... Um, people listening to this would relate to if they aren't old enough <laughs> to remember Nikolai. <laughs> yeah. If you've seen Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't, certainly we were not acrobats to that caliber, but mm -hmm. the wild costumes, crazy lighting, bizarre music, that type of thing. Wow. This sounds, this sounds uh, mesmerizing. I want to, I want to go and watch one right now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and so and so you started off as a, a you danced in a, what well, I'm gonna use all the wrong terminology here, and you're gonna have to fix me. But as a troupe or a, an ensemble, uh, you you danced, and then how did your career progress yeah. through that? You could call it a troupe or an ensemble. I mean, yeah. I started dancing as a child, but this was a this is in in the 1970s and 80s in New York. There were about half a dozen professional modern dance companies, and pretty much every dancer in the U.S. Um, was focused on trying to get into one of those companies, and so that New York's was the place to be. Absolutely, at that time, I'm not sure if it's the case anymore in this country. Nowhere's the place to be. Mm. Yeah, modern dance. Actually, modern dance is kind of passe at the point at this point, but Europe is really where it's happening, right? Okay. Now. But okay. anyway, so yeah, so I moved to New York, auditioned for the company, got in there, and we were a company of ten people, five women and five men, and we toured wow. the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to dance in all kinds of incredible places all over the world, lots of outdoor amphitheaters and big and uh, opera houses and interesting places. Yeah, where was your favorite place to uh, perform? Two, two favorites. Oh, you're very clear, two. Two favorite places. Okay, one is going to be the, um, oh shoot, what do you call that? In Tarmina, Italy. It oh. was like an um, amphitheater, an outdoor amphitheater. Mm -hmm. in, in, at the foot of the Mount Etna, we could see Mount Etna. Oh. With its, um, wow. And this is, what? when was this? This is like the 80s, the 85, okay. 86, something like that. Yeah. So that one, and then also Belfast, Ireland. Belfast, that's a surprising one. Mount Etna yeah. I can get. Yeah, so Belfast, it was an opera house, looked like the inside of a wedding cake. <laughs> and the stage was slanted or raked. So oh. raked stage, which means yeah. you are falling with gravity all the time. So you mm -hmm. must change the way you move to combat mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was incredible. Also, some of the, we used to um, dance on certain props that had wheels, <laughs> like a skateboard kind of a thing. Wow. You had to make that not slide off the stage. But the best <laughs> part about that performance was 
Mikhail Baryshnikov was in the audience the night we oh, were. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> even even non-dancer me knows knows who that is. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've just seen. Um, I don't know if you know Tom York from Radiohead, but he's just come out with a a new album, and his the song of that his his wife or I think ex-wife is is a modern or postmodern dancer, and uh, it's beautiful. Very very. So a lot of the elements that you're talking about, you know, the mo moving stage and slanting stage and, and gravity going different ways is uh, it's it's very organic and love and beautiful to watch. Yeah, um, that's an amazing film. I did see it. You did see that? I did see it. It was incredible. I know they did a lot of those slanting things were camera tricks, but he it was that was just a beautiful. And beautiful he's not even a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. So could have fooled yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so you. So you dance, wow, and that's and and then where does a where, where does a dancer go after they've danced around the world? Then what happens? What uh where do dancers go? Oh well, that's a good question. They you know they die at about forty something. <laughs> so here I am in my afterlife. Mm. Um, you know I don't know. I did yoga from the beginning. Um, mm while I was dancing. In fact, I, while I was having a life as a professional dancer, I was doing yoga. I studied with Dharma Mitra in New York at the time. Wow. Yeah. And that's actually someone there told me to find Paul in LA. And mm -hmm. so it was an interesting time. But um, your, your, your original question was, how does dance filter into the young sequences that we do? And you are correct that I think just having a sort of a natural um, proclivity toward choreography and mm -hmm. movement really um, played into the creation of these young sequences that Paul and I do. So there's mm -hmm. dance element. Then the mm -hmm. other element is in at that time in the 1980s, the late 1980s and all the 1990s and early aughts, mm -hmm. I was a very serious capoeira practitioner, ah, Brazilian okay. martial art. And the thing mm -hmm. about capoeira is if for people who are not familiar, people are more familiar with what it is now, but mm. its claim to fame is you are doing gymnastics and acrobatics, but they are asymmetrical. So you're moving on mm -hmm. one arm, one leg. It's incredibly fluid and, and improvisational. So my experience in capoeira also played into how we manipulated the vinyasa to become... I've never got into capoeira, but uh, it seems incredibly dynamic and demanding of the physical body. How would you compare that to uh, a yoga practice from a from a movement perspective, from a practitioner perspective? Well, my my comparison would be this way. I think for sure that capoeira and dance have the potential to be much more powerful pra young practices, much more dynamic, much more demanding. Mm. But the thing that yoga has about it, the, uh, let me go back, but capoeira and dance both have a real stop-start aspect. So if, ah, you're, okay. if, you're, yeah, if you're in a capoeira training class, there's times when you're really bursting hard and you're doing it really hard. Mm. And then there's other times where you're standing around and watching other people do it, mm -hmm. listening to an instructor give direction. Same thing with dance and dance classes. Mm. The beauty of a yoga practice is you're practicing the entire time. So you have a longer time span to sort of build the heat or work your body. 
And so what we do in yoga is you don't go at full burst for the entire 60 minutes or whatever it is. Mm. So you get um you get into a, you get in you kind of build up slowly, don't you? And then you keep that intensity over a fair amount of time in the vinyasa yeah. type practice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that's what we see on, you know, YouTube and when you look at capoeira being demonstrated, you see the intense part. And I, I always think, my God, how can anyone keep that up for more than five minutes? Yeah. They don't. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> they don't. Right. I mean, capoeira, yeah. the way capoeira is played is you're standing in a circle and then two people go into the center and that game lasts, you know, two to five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then they go stand on the side and everybody else gets their chance. So and you're, and you're fried at the end of that. I mean, you're really, yeah. really gone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. So, so, so you come and you meet Paul and, and, um, he's practicing yin. Now I, I gotta, maybe this is way back in your rear view mirror, but do you remember your first, so you're doing, and I know, and I've, you know, uh, meeting you over the years, I know you're a badass swimmer. You're also a big um, drumming uh, guru as well. So you're a very okay. yang person. How do you end up meeting this total yinster of a guy? Huh. And well, what do you and how very... do you end up practicing with it with the yin? <laughs> well, remember, he was a youngster when I met him. Ha ha. <laughs> 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 yeah, we were both doing hot, sweaty power yoga at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but your point is well taken. The odd thing is we both got into yin, not actually for those emotional and mental benefits of calming mm -hmm. yourself. We got yeah. into it because we actually wanted to um, increase our range of motion. Mm. And That's a whole fascinating topic on its own, but I'll let you go with it. So oddly, we went we discovered yin with a you know fairly young attitude or if you could call mm -hmm. it a competitive attitude it was like mm -hmm. well I, I need something to make we wanted to make a breakthrough with certain inflexibilities that we both had both neither one of us have a great backbend um and coincidentally both of us have crap ankles too you know <laughs> i'll join that club <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't squat with our heels down etc and mm. so at the beginning, before the discovery of skeletal variation and the difference in bones and tension versus compression, compression meaning when the bones hit, mm. before that, we were into yin for the um, increase of range of motion. Mm. So kind of came at it, we fe fell into it backwards in a way, or fell into it uh, upside down with not mm. a full understanding of the benefits of the practice. So that, I think that yeah, it reminds me of I have a, a Tai Chi background and that reminds me of the warm ups that we did for Tai Chi. We, you know, we'd sit there and then the master would come and put bricks on top of us or push us against the wall more, more, mm. more. Very similar. Mm -hmm. um, wow. OK, so so that. Yeah, it's that's uh, it's so many of us come at it from that from that angle. But then the shift, the shift occurred when suddenly after doing yin practice for months or a year we realized how much we loved it and enjoyed it mm. and you know any um hard endeavor like capoeira dance and some and vinyasa yoga for some people 
you kind of have to get yourself up. You have to talk yourself into starting. You have mm. to talk yourself into, okay, I'm going to do my hour of yang. I'm going to step <laughs> on the mat. You know, and we found that with our yin yoga, there wasn't any of that. It was just like, ah. let's just get on the ground and do this. It was instantly pleasant. And yeah. you didn't have to get it up to do it. So no, I almost... I almost roll out of bed into my in practice some days in my PJs. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah. so that was like a kind of, I mean, that was just a natural thing. So we sort of love that. Also, I and I think this is um, pertinent to um, what you want to talk about in this interview, and that is that young doesn't have to be yoga. And, and you know, Paul and I have been practicing for about closing in on 40 years. Mm. And that time we have never only done yin yoga we've always had a yang component in our lives sometimes together and more oftentimes individually for many mm -hmm. years for me it was dance capoeira and my mm -hmm. yoga was only in and for paul mm -hmm. brazilian jiu-jitsu and hiking and his yoga was yin yoga so mm -hmm. there was a big span of time where we kind of turned our back on the, at that time, 10 or 12 years of yang yoga practice and went, well, let's just do yin as our yoga and get our yang elsewhere. Now that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's going to blow the, the brains or fry the noodles of so many people <laughs> listening to this, um, <laughs> that yoga doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be, you know, that, that sweaty five bazillion, uh, or a hundred thousand eight hundred Surya Namaskars and five minutes of headstand and handstand and all that stuff. That's uh, would you would you say that looking back over you said forty years of yoga? Would you say there's a change in the on the kind of uh, yangometer, if you like, of of yoga? Do you think it's become more or less yang over the years? <laughs> I love that the yangometer. <laughs> a yangometer, <laughs> the technical term. Okay, so you're you're asking me to give commentary on uh, the zeitgeist, on the world, or on my own? Well, just just in your part of the universe that you see uh, over the times, back say back in the '80s and '90s, do you remember? Was yoga as young as you think as it is maybe now when you drop into a studio? Um, I would say that in the '90s. In the early 90s, everything started going young. And mm. it was actually kind of, I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it's a great thing. Um, mm. I just think, I guess what I'd want to convey is that um, I think that in a lifetime, if you have a physical practice, it's going to change and you're going to go through cycles. So I'm telling you, mm -hmm. like, we've been doing yoga for 40 years. Well, I, when I first started doing vinyasa yoga i was obsessed with it and infatuated with it because why because in modern dance there wasn't that much attention paid to upper body strength and getting down on ah. your arms and getting down on your hands mm. and so i thought that vinyasa sun salutation in movement was stronger than i could get going to a dance wow. class it was more in my body mm. well so i so i you know my infatuation with i learned um Pat patabi joyce's um 
Ashtanga yoga routines and all of that in the early 90s at Yoga Works and all that from Patabi in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a while. And then I found Capoeira and all of a sudden <laughs> Vinyasa yoga was less exciting than Capoeira. Right. So then it was like, go fully on into the Capoeira and continue to do yoga in a softer way. Mm -hmm. and, and then I got old and I can't do as much capoeira <laughs> as I mm -hmm. used to do. So now it's kind of like I still want to go on my arms and be upside down and be on my hands. So I'm back to yang yoga again. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that I think that people would appreciate hearing from someone who's been doing it so long that things change. You do something for a couple of years and then you change and cycle out into a different modality. And, and it's a functional approach. And you're painting a beautiful picture here of also something which also I many students of mine are also shocked to hear is that and you you have these two broad aspects of your practice. You've got the very young dance and capoeira and ashtanga and then you've got the slow and gentle and in this case it's yin and you seem to always come back to those two aspects of your practice and they feed off each of each other and they and they work for you beautifully yeah yeah mm. i would say that's 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 a good summary and i would say that the yin is kind of always there like brushing your teeth and taking a bath <laughs> stressing right. stressing your tissues in a yin way that's kind of like food teeth brushing and bathing. Mm. Yang is also always there, but the form it takes can be radically different from cycle to cycle. Mm. So that's- Depending on needs, interests, and what's what's hot and sexy at the time, right? Exactly, I'm motivated completely yeah. by that. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> so so I, I guess this begins, uh, this. Uh, kind of shoehorns us in nicely. So you, you've been practicing yoga for a while, and now, and you, did you choreograph also dance uh, at some time in your career? Oh my God, yeah, D yeah, I, yeah. Oh yeah, I had a dance company. Once I left oh. the company in New York, I had my own ensemble, and yeah, I did lots and lots of performing. So choreography has been kind of the a very strong aspect of my life up until just maybe recently since since I'm not I don't have a dance company now and I'm not dancing quite as much as I used to mm -hmm. I'm not and dancing half as much as I used to <laughs> I guess you only got one Susie and and 24 hours a day so it's it sounds like you're busy <laughs> yeah. yeah so um yes choreography and I I would say that the young yoga sequences that we do, the very first one that um, Paul and I sort of generated together and still we do all the time is the golden seed. It is the simplest of the four main sequences that we practice now. And um, so, uh, I think people and, may know it. They see, you can see it on YouTube. And for those that don't, could you give, uh, I, I, people won't be able to, all, of, all be able to see us, but could you give us like a, what does the golden seed do? What are the big kind of highlights of the of the sequence? Okay, the the golden seed. Oh boy, um, <laughs> it's got a great name, by the way. Just want to say that. Oh, right front. that helps me decide. That helps me understand what I'm supposed to say. So we called it the golden seed because it's sort of like everything starts from a small place and then it grows out 
Mm. And then it comes back into the scene. So the so I guess you could say that the form, the choreograph the choreographed form opens out and unfolds and then folds back in. That's its theme. That's what happens. Mm. It's a relatively symmetrical yang sequence. You mm -hmm. don't shift weight from side to side very much. You're mostly mm -hmm. doing like open horse. And for a dancer, that would be a big second position plie mm -hmm. and you some twists, but you're staying on a stable base in the center. And it's about reaching out, pushing chi out through your body and pulling chi back into the center. So that's what that one's about. And we use the golden seed either as a warm up or as a cool down when we're doing a bunch of sequences. It's and a you, nice opener. You or begin, I, I think if I'm correct in saying you begin sitting in that one and then you move to standing up. Is that correct? Uh, no, all these ones are that are standing. All standing. Okay. Yeah. So and you know, as as a qigong practitioner, this also makes sense. We call we call it open horse or horse dance in mm -hmm. in tai chi. And it's uh, if you're going to get your chi flowing, you got to squeeze in muscles big, engage possibly, and then go out and come in and out. So that was and is that um is that uh, a yogury movement or was it a, is a dancey idea that you had um, with that or is it just purely purely functional well um, all of the sequences that we do are really related to either things that a vinyasa yogi would recognize or a mm -hmm. person who does basic standing hatha yoga would recognize so mm -hmm. we they're movements that are easily recognizable and interpreted by someone who comes from a yoga background. Right. But what they have is the potential for um, for you to bring a creativity to it in terms of how you move your hands and your arms or how you breathe when you do it. All of that is variable and should be experimented with. So, right. And, so, that's, and that's obviously a, a huge part of the way that you and Paul and so many of your students, myself, think. Um, for those that are listening that don't know about that, rather than um, rather than making the poses look a specific way, it's all about working with specific either groups of tissues or or sp sp very specific tissues as you are thinking about the poses. So I guess that's that's the way that you. Uh, um, you're thinking when you're creating these these poses is you're thinking about the the quads for example if you go lower down you're going to work them hard and make them sweat um or you're going to fold forward and you're going to work the hamstrings maybe stretch is that is that how is that a fair a fair completely fair yeah completely fair and completely correct it's like every one of these every way that we work these sequences has a function to it in terms mm. of the muscle groups that you're working but also, and because of that, that means that you're never going to have to keep your arm in the same plane, or if you're bringing your arms up over your head, you never have to bring it up in the same path because mm -hmm. you want to stimulate different aspects of your arm. You're going to round the elbow or bend at the wrist, and other times you're going to bend the wrist another way. How much contraction you use when you move your body through space compared to moving it through soft or um, smoothly, that's all variable. So everything is dictated by your function and your and, function can change. And I, 
I've watched, obviously watched you and uh, look around the room. You cannot help but do it sometimes as we practice these things. And you've just mentioned something which I find, which really struck me when I first did, did these with you, is there is no, there's no right or wrong way, kind of muscle engagement way to do them. So you could do like a, a golden seed is kind of like a, a big open uh, stance. Uh, you could do that with your legs engaged. You could do it with them soft you could do with them kind of halfway between the two and um this one might sound like a dumb question but why why, yeah. why is that allowed to do them to do it to do all of those because in order to affect the tissues you can't do everything this you for example your open horse if you did it at the same depth and with your uh, hips and pelvis in the same plane all the time, you aren't going to get the totality of the myofascial groups or the bones. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to move, stick your butt out a lot to see if you can go deeper. You got to turn, allow your feet to turn in or turn out and feel, what does it feel like if I'm slightly more parallel? How will it, what muscles do I feel if I slightly turn my feet out more in that mm -hmm. open horse? So in order to feel the totality of the effect on the target area, you've got to vary how you do it. If you, right. did, the, if you did your open horse position the same way every time, or let's put it in a, um, something that every yoga student can um, relate to. If you did your trikonasana or triangle pose mm -hmm. with your hips in the same orientation every single time, you would not get the totality, like triangle pose is supposed to stretch the obliques on the side of your body as you bend right. down and reach there. Well, if you don't shift your hips forward or back or rotate your chest up or down, you're gonna miss out on tons of the muscle tissue in the fascia, the myofascia in the torso and in the hips. And mm -hmm. if you insist on grinding yourself into a certain alignment, to uh, match a picture or something, you're going to run the risk of uh, compression injury, bone against bone, mm. bony compression. And so, so you're so you, so you're moving around and now in a, in a young way, and you're getting into all this. These are the biggest muscle groups that you're talking about down in your lower back and up in the tops of your legs. These are huge. So you're getting to move around and feel rather than look the way that somebody should in the picture. Yeah, mm. we somehow we got. We as yoga practitioners got way off course when we got into that. Let's look at the picture and try to imitate that. Mm. I don't think so that you, was ever meant to be like that. I mean, I did think, you did you? Mm, sorry, I was just going to reach back and say that in the early days of yoga classes, mm -hmm. remember Yoga Works was kind of like the seminal hothouse or greenhouse for yoga teachers back <laughs> in the early nineties. Yeah. Great teachers. I, I was as a dancer. I love being in class, taking class with people. So I taught classes there and took everybody else's class as well. Mm -hmm. Teachers like Eric Schiffman and Brian Kest, they were tweaking the vinyasa sequences from way back there in the early 90s. And those guys were just they never told you how to do it, where to put your hand, where to put your foot. It was all about feel it. Feel it in your body, tweak it around till you get the sensations that you want. 
learn to and find out where, how far is too far. And I mean, this is this is so paralleled or lost lost treasure, if you like, almost in the yoga world. How how did the how did how was it how was a pose taught? Was it literally like get into the pose and now can you know almost dance like move around and 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 stretch it out and 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 I don't know soak the goo how how what kind of word which did they use <laughs> no google i google i think that's your your style <laughs> soak the goo i definitely use the word soak the goo that's that's very technical yeah <laughs> very nice but yeah it was something like that i mean they would just kind of cue you along in the sequence it was never the cues were not where to place your hand or where to place your foot right. it's like you would either follow them they would demonstrate and and then stop when they knew you were going and then they'd walk around and talk to you but i don't know it just it was more like just follow and feel and um mm -hmm. i think what happened is like uh as yoga teacher trainings became kind of the de rigueur thing uh, that's by basically what you could teach teacher trainees to do was to mm. articulate verbally, place your hand here, rotate your arm here. And that did a disservice. It took away some of the organic, natural way. Experiential, right. Mm. Mm. So, so you got to reel me back in. You got to reel me back in here. We'll go off on these tangents of uh, fascinating yoga history, but. Yeah, we started talking about the golden seed, but um, <laughs> I wanted to give a little more spiel about the functional approach to the other three, the other three of the four sequences that we primarily teach now. Hmm. I mean, uh, so um, if I before we go there, if I may, so you can I ask you uh, why come up with these sequences? at all in the first place i mean apart from the as uh, from my perspective they're immense fun and there's immense i find as a modern practitioner immense freedom in them because as for example going to your the trikonasana that you've just raised we're not given huge amounts of freedom it's as you said put your foot there put your foot there put your hand there maybe you can get it on a block is was that one of the reasons you you decide to begin to think about a, a new freer sequences uh it, that 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 it's fun as it's, uh, oh, I, i'm i'm asking you an open question how did you how what how did you get to this, uh, deciding that you'd like to do some new sequences and how how did you think about making them yeah well you know honestly can you do a sun salute for 40 years and not get bored out of your skull. I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's and those guys that I mentioned, Derek Schiffman and Brian Keston, so they were already starting to morph the mm. classic sun salute back then. So mm. what we were just doing was adding choreography and trying to look at what what is what are the muscle groups we're affecting and so that mm. dictated if i want to work my arms if i want to work my torso my arms and my core then i would i would do push-ups right and sit-ups well push-ups and mm -hmm. sit-ups are kind of boring so let me put it in a creative and asymmetrical and interesting sequence and that's where we came to the animal parade that has the no one's going to know what this means but the mongooses and the bears mm -hmm. 
And these are just calisthenic things that a lot of people are familiar with, but they're put together in a vinyasa. That's where we borrow from the, the great genius of vinyasa, a sequence that is short enough that anyone can sort of get through it, but mm. creative enough that you can do it differently each time and find joy in it and find interest in it. So... Mm. Mm, I like the way you, I like you way. I mean, you yeah, you ask any Ashtanga yogi, they'll be into two camps. I love the the you know the 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 military of it, but then there's the other camp is oh my god, let get me out of here. I I want to do something free. So that's mm -hmm. you're verbalizing that. That's why I laughed so loud. Uh, yeah. it's it's just it's just fun and and you are. And you also said another interesting thing there is you are, I, I guess if I rephrase, you're, can, you're working with muscle groups and there are only certain numbers of muscle groups in the body. They work together. So you, you, I guess you have an opportunity to, rather than do thousands of poses, you can condense your sequences into, into groups of five, six, seven, eight poses, maybe less sometimes. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You know, you make a very good point. Um, on one hand, I would just as soon go to a free dance and dance like a maniac and come out <laughs> overjoyed. But on the other hand, we have a job to do. And, and for my own self, I want to make sure that I'm targeting certain muscle groups for my own health and physiology. So mm. these sequences... Um, I just talked about the animal parade sequence that focuses on the core and the upper body. And then we mm -hmm. have two dragon sequences, one that is primarily the lower body and mm -hmm. the strength of the lower back. And that has a lot of your conventional warrior poses mm -hmm. where hands are not on the ground, your arms are up and in the air. So you're having to balance on your legs. And all about the legs. All about the legs, shifting your weight and from one side to the other and balancing on one leg, you have things that are very similar to warrior three and warrior two in there. Mm -hmm. And um, twisting the dragon, which is at pretty much all the time one hand is on the ground and you're twisting and bending your back and working your upper body. And My that... personal favorite, by the way. Oh yeah? That, yeah, I, lo I love that. That's gonna happen at least once a week, that sequence. I think totally. that's my favorite too. <laughs> but gold, golden, five. golden seed is also one of my favorites just because for the chi aspect of it. I'll tell you, mm -hmm. if I'm freaked out about life or ready about to do a performance or a drumming performance or mm -hmm. anything, golden seed will really um, smooth my chi and my nervous energy. So that one's special for that one's close to my heart for that reason. Mm. So you. So you got a so you got a, a chi focused practice. You got a core focused practice. Then you've got a, a lower back and legs. And then uh, twisting the dragon is kind of back bendy and a lot of army stuff. There's kind of a vashistas and a side plank kinds exactly. of things in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like arm strength and back bendy stuff, as you say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you got you got all. I mean, you, apart from there's no jaw, jaw yoga in there or uh, eye yoga, but you got, got pretty much everything else in there. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we'll be working on that after this discussion. <laughs> working the golden jaw. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, and I mean, it sounds beautifully, beautifully simple. So you got, I mean, I, I'm working in a studio uh, over the next weekend where on the wall there is a big poster. And it's a big poster. And it's got to have, uh, it's got to have a thousand poses on there. Um, how many, how many poses throughout these five, and that's a kind of a, a loaded word to use, but how many poses throughout these five sequences are there, roughly, Susie, you would think? Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. Let's say, um, oh, I, that's, you caught me there. I, I want <laughs> to say like 50 because just this guess thing is, 50? well, I want to say even more than 50 because, you know, the cues, for example, let's say you're doing Twisting the Dragon. Mm -hmm. and you're, you're starting with a side elephant, which is like trikonasana, and then you right. go to an ostrich pose, which is, I don't even know what you call that in yoga. You're stretching one hamstring, you're yeah. hanging down, you know? And then it's you like do... A pyramid or uh, it's called yeah. parsvottanasana. Yeah. Exactly. Parsvottanasana. Mm -hmm. And then you come down into the gecko, which is like a push-up or a chaturanga, mm -hmm. but with one leg. So you've got those three, and then, of course, there's there are eight in the sequence. But in between one, two, and three, there are so many things you, you can feel. You don't rush from one place to another. Mm -hmm. So you're feeling all these places in the spectrum between Q1 and Q2. Mm. So you and can't really say how many poses, but I do get what you're saying. Yeah, I was just, I was just, uh, I was trying to. Trying to use a common language, I guess, which people will understand as they listen to us. But uh, I guess where I was, I was trying to, I was kind of, I was trying to shoehorn you, if you like, into a place where my point was: there's not that many po real kind of poses. But you take the pose, and then you kind of feel and stretch and move and play with what you feel in each yeah. of the shapes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And was, um, sorry. I was say that what's missing in here is you don't have. A headstand or a handstand in here but that's not even true i've seen people throw a handstand into either twisting I've the dragon or walking the dragon mm -hmm. you know people who come to us from those crazy like rocket yoga or uh trip sickery they'll mm -hmm. they'll throw a handstand in i've seen them do that <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to watch <laughs> yeah and they can do it and make it look so graceful and yeah. strong yeah yeah so so, and another aspect, I so the 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 pose there are a limited number of I guess archetype shapes in each of the each of the sequences. Another thing I found very interesting when I first came to them, and I've really grown to love, is that you repeat them multiple times, and uh, even within one practice, the experience is super different. Um, was that something like if you compare it to, for example, a uh, an Ashtanga practice, which does pretty much, you know, Trikonasana left, Trikonasana right. Okay, now let's do another pose. Whereas the way that these poses, these sequences work, you have five or six poses, then you repeat them. It starts out super slow, and then it gets faster, and that's so enjoyable. Yeah, it's so. Did you did you did that? Is that something which kind of you intuited as you as you came along with the with the designs of the sequences? Yeah, maybe not consciously, but it, that makes let's me do think it again. That that's yeah, let's do it again. Really, that does come from dance background. You know, ah. you, you learn a movement pattern in dance mm -hmm. after the warm ups. You learn a movement pattern, mm -hmm. 
And you don't just do it once, you do it over and over again because each mm. time you do it, you squeeze more juice out of it and you get more from it and you find more ways to move your energy during it. Mm. So yeah, repetition is an amazing thing, particularly in, in a yang practice too, because there is the element you do want to get hot, you do want to get sweaty, you want that mm. result. Mm. But yeah, I think that the um, experience of repeating something uh, brings with it discovery. Mm. And 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 it's never the same. I mean, like I, you know, I wake up on a winter day or I wake up on a tired day. It's totally different. Yeah. We Paul and I do this. Um, we do the, our yang sequences at a minimum of twice per week, but we definitely do them twice per week. And um, mm -hmm. we constantly are shocked at afterwards. Some days we'll go like, oh, I thought that was gonna be hell and it really felt great. Or mm -hmm. I never really got warmed up. <laughs> and also <laughs> we time it and it's bizarre because it usually takes, the, the way we do it, usually takes us 35 minutes to get through each sequence four times, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it feels different every time. Some days it's easy, some days it's hard, but somehow it always takes the same amount of time. It's weird. So give us, give us a little, um, a little, um, a little snapshot of the, of the, of the, of the Grilly Yang practice. Do you do all, all of those sequences in one go? Does it, do you wake up and decide to do one or the other, or how does it go? Well, we're in a, um, we're in a phase of doing it this way. First of all, we never warm up because Paul thinks warm ups are for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> if if I could looking like a real man. If I could just turn on the music and dance around the room for ten minutes as a warm up, I'd be so happy. But whenever I do that, he just goes sissy, and so we have to start. <laughs> but we start with the hardest one, which is the animal parade. It's the one with oh. all of the mongoose and the bears mm -hmm. and all the ab work and all that. And, mm -hmm. and we, we do that three times. Mm -hmm. So do that thing three times. Then we'll do twisting the dragon three times. Then, of mm -hmm. course, that's the our arms. Favorite. Yeah. And then we do walking the dragon three times. And then we do the golden seed three times. And then we come back around and do everything once each mm. Once oh, wow. of each sequence. And like I said, it takes about th between 32 and 35 minutes. And after that, often Paul will do some yin yoga. I usually don't do anything afterwards because I, the way our lifestyle is set up now, I know I can come back and do yin later in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to get a full, what someone would call it, you know, a proper 75 minutes of yoga at once. Mm -hmm. So that's how we do our yang. We kind of just do the yang in isolation mm. from other practices. And you've chosen and you've chosen together. I, I know that you, as a person, are very busy and physical, Susie. But you you chosen two ish, two or three times a week ish for your yang practices. So many people ask me, yeah. uh, almost you know, um, anxiously, how much yin and how much yang should I do? And uh, is there like a golden ratio or secret? <laughs> Um, that, that's just a number that you've picked for, I guess it works for your bodies and your minds. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, again, it's, I was talking about the 40 year so far lifestyle, 40 years of doing it. It has changed throughout right now. Um, the golden mean is 
uh, two young practices per week, two kettlebell practices per week, ah. um, drumming three or four Incessant. days a week. Yeah. And uh, yin is, I don't think a day goes by where we don't do a little bit of yin. Mm. You know, and it's not always together, but just, you know, the way we have our house set up, you can just flop down on the ground and <laughs> after drumming, you got to do it, you know, upper back and neck, you got to do it. So, mm. so mm. yin is, is whenever, whenever. Has that, ra has that ratio changed, oh, you think, over your life and do you think it will continue? Is there a trend, you think? Um. Yeah, I do think there's a trend and I think this is the slowing trend. I think this is this is this is the um you know, we're both 60 and it's kind of like w those four days that we do yang yoga and kettlebell. Mm. So those four days, we do mm. that because if you don't push back now, it's really going to suck in the future is what I think and what we think. So my, my seven year old mother would totally agree with you. She uh, she lives in Scotland and uh, it's cold. And that's when she does her young practice. She's kettlebells and gym Yay. from September to April. And she pushes through and she says if she doesn't do that, she's going to die next winter. <laughs> <laughs> OK. She wouldn't, say she, <laughs> well, she wouldn't say she enjoys it. But she said she would never be without it. Yeah. Um, and she's she's strong. That is fantastic. I love to hear mm. that. And um, yeah, I think there's something to that for us. That's for sure. Um, the, I, I would say this, that I feel blessed that we have a young yoga practice that we actually do enjoy doing. Like the kettlebell, mm. it's also fun in some way. But like mm. I said, it's most fun when it's over. <laughs> and, but the yang practice, it just right now it's really enjoyable, and so yeah. that's it's a blessing. That's a blessing. Mm. And, and uh, how, how how do they play off of each other? So many people also ask me, like, uh, uh, you know, the the CrossFit people and the gym people, and I I'm always giving them stories, but you're you've been in doing this so long and you know your body so well how do your yin and yang practices play off of each other in different levels physically and other ways yeah that's a great question you know when we're when we're in teaching mode paul and i i must you know clarify for people that paul and i don't teach weekly classes anymore we're, mm -hmm. we teach teacher training sessions and mm -hmm. so when we're in that mode, in those 10-day periods, we'll be doing sometimes yin and yang at the same in the same class sequence because mm. that's the type of those are the types of classes we're teaching. Right. But in our personal lives, we rarely blend them. We rarely blend them. If we're doing a long yin practice, we're just doing a, a, a long yin practice. Mm -hmm. when, as I explained before, when we do this 35-minute yang sequence, most of the time it's in isolation. We just do that, and then we go on and you know walk the dog afterward. Mm. And um, so, I guess we've come to that point in our um, you know development and age that we don't sort of sit down and do all the yoga 
at that one time. In one go. And do you do you find that um, for me, for example, when I get injured in a young, sometimes I use yin to recover very much. And when I'm when I'm down or low, I use my yang practices to kind of up me and to get me going. Do you is that something you you guys find too? Yeah. So I kind of I have kind of like a fine tuning on a almost like on a on a on a TV or on a stereo. I can turn up the bass. I can turn down the treble or whatever with these with these kind of two practices that I have. Is that is that your experience too? Definitely, a, um, definitely in agreement with um, using yang to turn the volume up a little bit in your mood and your fe feelings and everything. Um, only difference is. Uh, I think for us at this point, yin still, it's like brushing our teeth or bathing. We kind of, it's your go-to. It's our go-to. It's, yeah. uh, you know, I, it might just be from a, a, a lifetime of young activity. It mm. just seems You're like an extra person. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get enough yin. You know, mm. there's, there's never a time where doing one or two poses wouldn't be a good thing. Like mm. it's going to be good. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. You've you got me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that is the sort of important point, though, is that um, I don't think uh, that one needs to be limited to be thinking, well, I need to target all my muscle groups in my yin practice. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, look, it's just your spine that needs it. And so the hamstrings will suffer for 24 hours or 48 hours. You're just mm -hmm. in the spine. That's, mm. that's how it is for me. My spine constantly needs to be stressed. So mm. I'm constantly doing forward bends, snail, twist, mm. and uh, uh, saddle, constantly stressing my spine. And I'm thinking in my head, man, my hamstrings are tightening up really a lot from everything else, <laughs> but I just don't have time. So they're just gonna have to tighten up. Wait till tomorrow, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's very practical. And most people's lives are like that, so. Uh. Yeah. Now, we got to the time in the podcast. We just have a couple of minutes left. Um, and um, as you as you mentioned, you and Paul, all you do is teach um, trainings um, professionally. And the other large aspect of, of your trainings is uh, philosophy and meditation. How this is a this we're talking about Yang's predominantly Yang practices predominantly. But how how does how do these practices these physical practices play into these more quiet um contemplative aspects of of your personal practices that you have mm, yeah i thought we'd be coming to that <laughs> it's good juicy <laughs> stuff <laughs> you know, it's i really we have a daily meditation practice mm. um i really don't mix my hatha yoga with meditation much it, mm. the only thing i could say and i've been con contemplating this because i knew you would ask i was gonna ask uh, all i can say is that you know if the function of um yoga is to harmonize the flow of chi in the tissues then maybe in that way my yin and yang practices help make me sit more comfortably but mm. So maybe in that way, but I don't mix them. Like I don't keep a meditative attitude when I'm doing yin and yang yoga necessarily. Uh, mm -hmm. I think about whatever I want to think about. But when I meditate, I meditate. And mm -hmm. I think what it is is that, it's weird. 
in the beginning, <laughs> my very first yoga classes came. I I started taking yoga at a place called Siddha Yoga Dom. It was a okay. uh, ashram in Santa Monica, and so mm -hmm. there it was implied that your yoga practice was connected to your spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. So. In that way, maybe I came to yoga with an idea that it had something to do with spiritual practice. But mm -hmm. as my meditation practice has uh, grown and gotten deeper, and my convictions have been strong, my faith is strong, and my you know hope for um, spiritual realization is strong, it just doesn't really have that much to do with my physical practices. Mm. It's just a different thing. Mm. Well, I mean... I, if I if I talk about my experiences, I mean, I they I think my physical practice and feeling my body and being able to sit is totally down to my yang and yin practices. I wouldn't be able to sit on the floor without without those. So that's just like bring it all the way back to yeah. basics. Um, yeah. And breathing also. I mean, I I've learned to breathe in my big yang practices, which then when I freak out about stuff in meditation, for example, then I then I have that as a kind of a go-to again. So I have all the, if I come back to the dials kind of idea, mm -hmm. I have the, oh, I can breathe through that. And I've learned how to breathe. Mm -hmm. So, but you're right. I think, I don't think you necessarily, yeah, I was just doing a yin practice right before this. I wasn't in uh, shamadi <laughs> during my yin. I was just, I was thinking about, I was all over the place. <laughs> Probably so, planning what to do with those students. I was thinking of any if I could ask any good questions to Susie Willie, but what's your yin and yang ratio, Dougal? What's your yin and yang ratio? I, well, since I've known you guys, it's I mean, I used to be a total yangster, it was yang, tai chi, and uh, anusara yoga, um, back bends every day, handstands every day. Um, and what I didn't understand, well, looking back, is that, you know, the first forward fold of the day was a nightmare. My hamstrings were tight. And then I did yin. And then I can wake up now and touch my toes, whereas I, I could practice as much yang as I liked. I could never touch my toes first thing in the morning. Whereas now, being, you know, do yin. So now yin has become, yin is 50-50, I would say. 50 50 and when i'm teaching like i'm about to start a teacher training at such a yang environment i'm yinning it the whole time i get up early and i'm yinning because i need that that's mental clarity and space and emotional space to, and yin gives me that uh, and meditation yeah so yeah. excellent so, circling yeah. way back around it's what when you're talking about that now you wake up and you can touch your toes in the morning there is something to yin does increase your range of motion. It does increase <laughs> your your baseline range of motion. So yeah. that is a beautiful thing about it. There's there's nothing like a yin practice. Um, um, it's just that I was a, we were fools early on, and we thought it would increase increase our range of motion through compression, and we could, more. we didn't realize that you can't change the bones. Mm. You can. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So so many people, uh, CrossFitters and older people, younger people who don't move can get a lot out of yin and increasing or keeping or getting back what they used to have. Um, yes. It's 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 uh, about your your and Paul's lotus feet for introducing me to this practice. It's uh, it's been fantastic. 
so. <laughs> from, from one youngster to another, I hear you, brother. Yep. Thank God for the in practice. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, my, just from my hamstrings perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having, having you. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, are you off to, uh, you're a big Tycho drummer. That's the other thing we, we haven't managed to squeeze in. Are you getting, are you drumming today? Uh, what is today? Today is Wednesday. Uh, no, I drummed yesterday, though, and I'll drum the next day after. Um, so not today. But then again, I'll probably turn the metronome on and run through things a few thousand times. <laughs> memorization. <laughs> yeah, memorization's another great thing, huh? Another another practice here. Ay, ay, ay. Another one. <laughs> Dougal, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to see you and talk to you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, how do we say uh, goodbye in California or in in Susie Land? What do we What do we say? Have we got any? Have you got any <laughs> Susieisms we can finish with? We'll say bye bye for now. See you on the other side. <laughs> and how do I come back with that? Do I just do I come back and see you on the other side? Yeah, that's what you say. That's what I say. <laughs> goodbye for now. Susie, really see you on the other side. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you very Google. much.